This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. My name is Steve, I'm an alcoholic. AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership, we are self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Steve. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body, coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It hasn't taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. Steve, welcome to the show. Let's get to know a little bit more about who you are. Do you want to tell us uh, how long you've been sober? Um, I've been sober for 18 and a half years. Amazing. Um, my sobriety date was the 5th of April 2004. Wonderful. And let's learn, let's talk a little bit more about uh, life outside of AA. Um, family? Today. Today? Uh, today. <laughs> um, I have a, a new wife in my life. When I say new, uh, we've been married a few years now. And uh, life is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I, my children are not in Christchurch. They mm-hmm. uh, they live in other parts of the country, but uh, I have great contact with them today. Wonderful. And um, let's learn a little bit more about what life was like for you as a child growing up. Um, in the AA literature, there's a phrase that says, seem to have been born that way. And I was one. Of, I was a child that seemed to have been born that way with a big streak of naughtiness in me. <laughs> and uh, no matter whatever I'd done, I was always in trouble. Mm. Um, I was in trouble with my parents and the, my aunties and the school and the teachers. And, and uh, you know, my answer to it, well, I would say, why do you do this? And my answer would always be, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I used to involve other children around the neighbourhood. I used to get all them on my side and we'd go and do something naughty. I always <laughs> felt that if I got caught, they'd get caught too, and it wouldn't be so bad. Sounds great. Um, yep, it was pretty bad. <laughs> and um, so you grew up with siblings, part of a... Um, I grew up, I didn't really know my father. He was always at the pub after work, mm-hmm. um, and my mother was always stressed out with... Uh, I was the middle child. I had an older sister and a younger sister, so mm-hmm. I didn't have any brothers. And um, my mother was one of these mothers who always said, you know, get outside and play. Mm. Um, so I was uh, never at home and uh, I was always you know, up to mischief. Mm. And so, Steve, let's talk then about your drinking. How did it start? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> I, I don't really know. Um, I've often thought about it. And if my father was about... Uh, he would take me and my sisters out for the day and he'd park outside the pub and he'd bring us out a shandy into the car <laughs> and uh, we wouldn't see him for a few hours and then he'd take us home again. Um, so is that, is that a start of it? I've really no idea where drinking mm. started. Um, I was earning money. I was working after school at the age of sort of 13 and um, I got money and so by the age of 14 I you know, could buy beer uh, pubs are always, they would always sell you beer. The bottle stores will always sell you beer, mm. and they wouldn't let you in the bar. <laughs> so um, I always remember we had a group of us that used to meet about an average of about 16 youths on a Saturday, Friday night. And they always thought that I looked the oldest, so I used to go to the bottle store and, and get 18 dozen 
bottles of um, beer. That was 18 boxes of a dozen big bottles oh of beer. Gosh. And uh, I would say, I'm just going to take them out to my car. And um, there would be like a, a, a bucket brigade all the way over to the botanical <laughs> gardens with all these boxes. So, you know, it was like, I just gravitated to people who drink, you know, mm. would drink lots of beer. And, mm. and you know, that's what it was, how it started, really. And so as you progress through your teens and into early adulthood, tell us about what your drinking was like and what did it do for you? Oh, I loved drinking. <laughs> I loved everything about it. I couldn't get enough. Mm. Um, the word alcohol, alcoholic, was never, um, never, 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 ever, never even considered. Mm. Uh, the people I hung around with drunk like me mm. and... Yeah, life was normal. Um, it made me braver, stronger, funnier, <laughs> all those good things. Mm. Uh, I'd never ever thought that I had a problem. And I, I often say, if I had a time machine, you know, would I go back and change anything? Well, I haven't got a time machine, so I can't <laughs> change anything. So it's just the way it was. And mm. for me, alcohol... Uh, for all those years of people telling me, you know, that I wasn't good enough and why do you do this and mm. all those things. For me, alcohol, um, well, it just gave me a sense of strength against authority. Um, I just rebelled against authority. Um, I served an apprenticeship as a carpenter. Uh, I ended up in Borstal training in one year of that and they still employed me. Mm. And on my second year of apprenticeship, I knocked over the... the uh, teacher at the Polytech so I got expelled from there and they still employed me so you know it was sort of it came to a point where I thought alcohol was an acceptable behaviour. Mm. So there um, weren't consequences. Oh there was always consequences. There's always for sure. They, they went enough. They were sure. <laughs> so to, you know, as you progress into, into early adulthood um, you know what were some of the impacts and the consequences on your life and those around you? Early adulthood there was no consequences because I couldn't ever see any consequences. Mm. So people just had to put up with me. Um, and if people ever said to me, you know, why do you drink like that? Or why do you drink so fast? Or why do you mm. drink so much? Um, I would always go back to my original answer of life. I don't know. Mm. Mm. And at any point, um, you know, in your teens, you'd have thought this is normal, this is okay, everyone around me is doing the same. Um, as your drinking progressed or as your life progressed, did you ever think this isn't normal or try and stop? Never. Never? Never. Um, it wasn't until I was in my mid-40s uh, or probably early 40s really that um, I arrived home one day and the wife had left me and the children are all gone uh, and you know I was left alone. I'd had so many warnings but anyway, I just... Uh, I just get the warnings to go to the pub. You know, mm. Life to me was pretty normal. Never thought I had a problem with alcohol. Um, and other substances uh, ended up being uh, another part of my addiction. Mm -hmm. um, I worked in an industry at that stage. I was an industrial sandblast, industrial spray painter. Mm -hmm. I used to paint all ships and anything made of steel. So through that, I ended up a solvent addict as well. Wow. And so with this big mix in me... Uh, it was how I functioned. It mm. wasn't, you know, where I could see I had a problem. It was just how I could function. And um, did anyone else, so you said that your wife, the warnings, there was obviously interventions from outside. 
Uh, did you ever get in trouble with the law? Um, I was always in trouble with the law. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. My first incident with the police, I was five years old. Uh, pushed <laughs> someone down the hill if we had a leg shorter than the other. But anyway, it just carried on. And But once drinking got involved, mm. uh, yes, I was in trouble with the law. Uh, quite a lot in my early, in all my teens and early 20s. Mm. Uh, then I settled down. And um, but the behaviours were still there, mm. and sort of you know another twenty years on, I've ended up in the courts again for mm. and, uh, problems with alcohol. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about what we sometimes or people talk about in the in in the rooms of AA as your rock bottom, or what was it that brought you into recovery or into the rooms of AA? Um, I was taken out of my job, the, the sandblasted industrial spray painter, because I um, got uh, looked at by Occupational Health and Safety, who'd done some health monitoring on my staff. I was managing the place at the time, and I got myself done. And they, uh, two weeks later, they came in and they said, you've got to get out of here. You're suffering from solvent neurotoxicity, lead poisoning, mm. your lungs are naked, uh, and all these uh, problems that I had, blood and poisoning and the lot. So they took me out and uh, they. one of the things they'd done was they sent me to CADS. I ended up in ACC and I ended up going to CADS, Community Drug and Alcohol. Mm. To, they wanted to try and clean me up from my addictions that I had, uh, being alcohol one of them. And through that, they suggested that I um, went to an AA meeting. So they told me where there was one. It was a, a Tuesday, uh, South Dunedin, in some McAndrew Road at St. Patrick's Hall. And I headed off down there, and I stood outside, and I couldn't pluck the courage to go inside an mm. AA meeting. I just wanted to see what sort of people were going in there. And they looked pretty normal, actually. They weren't sort of the people I was expecting to <laughs> go in there. But uh, I didn't go in, you know. I just had another, you know, smoke of dope and carried on home. Wow. Uh, the next week, anyway, eventually I did walk into an AA meeting in Dunedin. And uh, the biggest surprise I got was there was a very staunch-looking bloke putting up the banners who looked pretty scarier than me. <laughs> and I thought that I must have been in the wrong place, really. But anyway, wel welcomed me and gave me a cup of tea. And, you wow. know, he asked me if I was an alcoholic and I... Be honest with you, I said, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, he said, well, sit down there, and, and then we carried on. Uh, but through CADS, they sent me to uh, a place in Christchurch, a rehab. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't even know what a rehab was. So I took my sleeping bag, my blankets, and my, <laughs> and my plates, and my knife and fork, and off I went. I <laughs> off thought camp. It was, I thought it was a camp out. <laughs> exactly, Louise. <laughs> um, but what it turned out to be, it was my, um, it was my island. It was mm. my, it was my place. God put me to to, to have a look at my life. And um, so, from that, was that for you the last time that you had a drink? Was that has that been what's kept you in the rooms of AA? That was the last time I had a drink or a drug, mm -hmm. and I cannot understand why. Mm -hmm. Because after 33 years of a daily drinker mm -hmm. and then on to other addictions because mm -hmm. alcohol would stop working and mixing the two to get what, it were, what I needed to go to this place and to never have another drink or drug again, um, it must have been God. 
And I guess that brings me on to, um, we'll talk a bit more about um, AA shortly, but we talk about AA being a spiritual program, not a religious program. What did that look like for you when you first came in? I couldn't see anything spiritual when I first came in. Um, It was only a couple of months later that I had a dream where I was released from the gates of hell. And I firmly believe that's that's where I lived for that 33 years. Wow. And so over that time, and that was quite quick, obviously, but over the time you've been in AA, has that changed for you? And what does it look like today? The spiritual side of it today continues, even today, continues to grow. Um, life just gets better. Mm. And, and as long as I hang around the right people, mm-hmm doing the right things, then the right things happen. And let's talk more about the program. Uh, So sponsorship, has that been something that's been important to you? Sponsorship's extremely important. Um, My life in those 33 years mucked up because I tried to do it myself Mm. and because I wouldn't accept in my life teachers or people who could Mm. academics who could teach me a better way um, I went on my own understanding so sponsorship today is people who are like-minded like me drunk like me ended up in the same places like me mm. uh, have been through the experience of Alcoholics Anonymous and they're, they're the ones who can guide and lead me today and through their guidance and leading I, I now help people in the same ways Wow, and that's and that's the the, the gifts, um, and so it brings me on to again service. So so helping others and being part of the program. What's that look like for you? In AA, if you're going to just go to meetings once a week and uh, do no more, then you're going to re- not really going to get any benefit out of it. Mm. Uh, it's really important to you know I do three meetings a week. Um, I sponsor four people. Um, I'm involved. I'm a um, intergroup rep which is you know and I do other positions in, mm. in Alcoholics Anonymous and it keeps me in the circle mm. uh, because I know that out there if I go into my own thinking and my own actions that I could end up you know where I was and there's no way that's not going to happen. Mm, mm. And um, you know what are some of the things that help you deal with life on life's terms so how do you cope if uh, there are difficulties? Acceptance is the key to all our problems today. <laughs> Acceptance, that's it. I just get this the way it is. <laughs> and has it always been like that? Is that something you got initially when you came in, 18 and a half years later? What does that look like? I learned it pretty early on. I mm. learned that. I I think the biggest test for me was in my second year of sobriety, Um my mother was brought up by her auntie and she died and then my mother's sister died and then my father died and then my two of my mother's brothers died. I had five deaths in mm. one year. So we're talking an alcoholic family who after every funeral had a great big mm. booze up at the local establishment um, to which I had to stand in there and be part of. And it was like the biggest test was to, to be in that and situation have- and I'm sure that was where acceptance came in. And you didn't have to pick up a drink. Didn't have to pick up a drink. And that's um, amazing. So, Steve, you know, you touched on this briefly, but describe your life today. Oh, my life today is just cruisy. Um, probably cruisier because I'm at the age where I'm retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
I still I will still work. You know, I still help people out. Um, mm. You know, my life is full, and really, really full actually. Um, for somebody, when you retire, I thought you're supposed to be resting, but my wife always tells me that you know I need to do a bit more of that. But anyway, I struggle with that. That's part, and I realised today that that's part of my addiction mm. as well. It's I'm a workaholic, and I, you know I've got to be doing something. Uh, I can't sit still for too long. But overall, my life is great. I have a life with my children these days. Mm. Uh, even though they don't live in my town, uh, we contact each other every week. Um, I have a loving home and a loving wife. Mm. I have a couple of pet dogs that uh, keep me active um, when I don't want to be. So <laughs> overall, uh, I, I, yeah, it's just great. I attend mm. a church as well. So that's another extension of my spirituality side of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found good people in church mm. and I find good people in AA. Mm, mm. Beautiful. Um, Steve, what would you recommend for someone that they, they could ask themselves if they think they might have a drinking problem? You know if you've got a drinking problem. Mm. Um, and what are you going to do about it? Mm. Hey, uh, we're not a bad bunch at Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, what I uh, have found and heard that it works, and for me it works. And yes, it was hard to get in that room on the first day, mm. but if we don't make an effort to change, nothing will change. Mm. Mm. And so there's you know, lots they can do and, and to reach out for help. Come along. Come along. Give it a go. Give it a go. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Louise. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.